Tuesday. And on Tuesday, we had 10 people coming affiliated with North Carolina Home Builders Association to take uh, seven weeks worth of construction classes. And so they are developing skills, construction skills that will hopefully make them marketable uh, because they don't have occupation right now. And North Carolina Home Builders is using our space, this room right up here, to give them skills for seven weeks and hopefully uh, let that translate into work. Also, we had uh, the YMCA is continuing to do their literacy training here, um, where we have 50 plus kids from this neighborhood that are being mentored and they still need mentors. Um, It's one hour a week commitment, but they were filling up the room. Then comes in a group of uh, about 10 from the Raleigh Rescue Mission, and they're coming here to do an event to celebrate Many of those who have gone through their program of uh, recovery and they're going to have like a commencement or like a graduation here in our facility coming up in a couple to three weeks. So this all just happened in the first few hours of our Tuesday morning just to show that uh, God is using uh, this space and many of our people to love this city in large ways. So just so thankful to God for what we were able to see him continue to do in our midst. Now we're in the book of Jonah. Uh, If you're new with us, uh, we go through books of the Bible as a regular pattern where we just want the word of God to kind of dictate where we're headed. Uh, The past three weeks, we've been a little more topical, just kind of address important issues uh, regarding our church body and our city. But today we start a series, a five week series on the book of Jonah. So uh, without further ado, what I want to do is I want to read the passage and then I'll pray and then we'll dive right in. Okay. So I'm going to read today's passage as the entire first chapter. So I'm going to read it in its entirety for us today. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, they were terrified, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo That was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean? You sleeper arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. 
Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord and said, Lord, oh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we draw near to you now because we need to hear from you. We need you to come and to strike our hearts with the astonishing love that you showed us on the cross. To comfort the weary and the downcast. To draw near to the faint hearted. To meet those who are living in shame and guilt and to show them your forgiveness. We need to hear from you so that we don't run our lives headlong into sin. But we run our lives towards you. We need to hear from you. And so open our eyes that we might understand your word. Incline our hearts towards you and away from selfish gain. Satisfy us early this morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all of our days. Change us in these moments. We ask this so that you get glory. We get the help and we live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So if I told you. 30 minute trip. All expenses paid. Here would be the result. You would have. More joy in the heart. You would be encouraged. You would find refreshment. In your discouragement. You would find strength in your weakness. You might be given a little bit of wisdom in how to deal with all the trials and decision making that you have in life. And you would actually be helped to love in those really hard relationships, you know, when it's hard to love. How many of you would sign up? I see no hands. Is that really true? Really? Come on. We need some participation here. Okay, we're a family. We work together. You know. Okay. I know you would. This is why every movie is written to try to create a scenario where evil is dispelled and hope is given. Where books are written in order that self-esteem might be lifted up and encouragement might be found. The cry of the human heart all over the globe is that joy and refreshment and wisdom and hope would be given in the human heart. And every promise that I just gave you is a quote from Psalm 19. Which says that it is the word of God that rejoices the heart. It's the word of God that makes wise the simple. It is the word of God that restores the soul. It's the word of God that enlightens the eyes 
It's the Word of God that helps you uncover the sin that's destroying your life. It is God's Word. And so today, as we look and start this study on a book of the Bible, it is not lost on me that every single Christian that I've ever talked to, including myself, yeah, I talked to myself some, struggles at this very area. To pick up the Word of God. To listen to a God who has spoken to us. And to cry out to Him with our deepest pains. A relationship with the living God. On the very first words of the book of Jonah, we are seeing something about God that invites us into a relationship with Him. And so, if I'm to summarize the whole, really, of the Bible, it would be to know God and to trust Him And as you trust Him, to fully submit your life wholly to Him. And so Jonah is no exception. But as we plug through the book of Jonah, what I'm wanting to help us do here is to encourage us. To encourage us in Bible study. To not only know what God has to speak to us today, but to know how to connect with God as we open the Word. So it's both a message that he has for us and how we can connect with him in a relationship. So there's three things. You know, when I read this story, I don't know if it's like you. It's like, wow, that's a pretty fascinating story. You know, this guy, um, he was told to go one place. He goes the other place. It seems like God didn't like that. So a bunch of wind happens. You got these pagan sailors who call out to false gods. That didn't work. So now, you know, Jonah, he's carried along and 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 all of a sudden he get thrown overboard and a big fish eats him up not a whale fish so it says in the bible so that happens it's kind of bizarre yes how in the world does this true story as god communicates about his truth how in the world does that begin to translate into you getting help With the decisions you make, the relationship that's the struggle, wisdom you need for life. How does that work? It works by not just knowing a story, but by having a relationship with the storyteller. That is God Himself. It begins with us understanding that God is speaking to us about Himself. And as we know Him and meditate, that's what we're going to do today. I did not get the three points for this sermon by simply just reading this one time. By reading it over and over and over and asking that question, God, what are you communicating? What is the main point? I didn't first go to some, you know, you don't go to some book and say, okay, now would you give me an outline and I'm going to use somebody else's outline and that's what I'm going to give to you. No, you have a relationship with God and you meditate on it and you think and you pray. And so that's what we're going to do today. That's what a sermon is. You just spend some time over the Bible together. Okay? So, I think there's three things being communicated here in this first chapter. They're all about God and then our response to Him. So number one, as you read this first chapter of Jonah, you will see that God speaks. And therefore, He is to be known. 
Number two, that God commands. And therefore, He is to be obeyed. And number three, God changes hearts. And therefore, He is to be worshipped. I believe this communicates the parts of this passage. And I want the resounding hammer blow on our heart to be we hear from God. So let's begin, shall we? This first point, God speaks and therefore He is to be known. Look at the first verse. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he speaks. Before you go any farther, we need to be astounded that God would humble Himself enough to even speak to us. The Creator of the heavens and the earth, the One who has no beginning and no end, the One who has always existed, the One who has the hairs on your head numbered or the ones that used to be there, and all the stars in the sky, He knows them by name. This God chooses to speak to us today. To speak to us. And He has chosen to do it through His Word. And that's what we have. We have God speaking to Jonah. Who is Jonah? Jonah was a prophet of the living God. We see this in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It says this, The word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which He spoke by His servant, the son of Amittai, the prophet. Jonah, the prophet. God speaks to the people through the prophet. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. And so what we are having is God speaking to His people through a man. That man was meant to communicate, filled by the Spirit of God, words of encouragement, words of judgment, words of warning, words of hope, promises, but was to communicate God's heart and greatness to the people. And so as we look here, Jonah, this mouthpiece for God, is meant to speak what God wants him to speak. And this is just 101 Bible right here. When God speaks, His primary aim is that you would know His greatness. said it many times. This, is, this Bible is a yearbook about God. He is the one that we look for. He is the, he is the picture that we see first. This book is about Him. When God speaks, He wants us to know Him. And so God is speaking. And He's speaking that we might know His greatness. And I use that word specifically, greatness, for a reason as you look at the book of Jonah. Because look at what it says here. Look at verse 2 for me. Arise, go to Nineveh, that... What's the next word? How does it describe the city? Great. Okay? Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind. Okay, you can speak. This is interaction. Okay, so when it says this word, great, this word is actually used 14 times in this entire book. Now why? Why? You have a great city who commit a great sin. And God hurls a great wind. And Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. What is meaning to be communicated? The greatness of these things 
or that there is one who is sending the fish who is over the city. The one who sends the wind. There is one who is greater. One who gets first place all the time over everything. And it's God. God is speaking to us to show how great He is and to say above the winds, above the waves, above all the things that you might run after in your life, above any relationship, above anything that promises power or success, there is one who is greater than everything that we call great. And it is God Himself. He is communicating at the very first words that God in all of His greatness desires to speak to you and I in a relationship. He wants to communicate something About Him. And friends, relationships require communication. Many times, that's why marriages, they begin to dissolve. That's why close relationships begin to get distant. You don't talk to one another. And God in the very beginning is saying, I have given. I have given my infallible word. To you. That you might know me and have a relationship with me and talk to me, telling me all of your fears and your tears and your pains and your guilt. And we have this relationship and you listen to me. God says, I speak that you might know my greatness. Now, the greatness is not only known in the book of Jonah, but this is also kind of helping you understand how Jonah works in general. So. Jonah is actually not a book that kind of stands alone. You might even consider it like a chapter in a book. Because there's a, there's a section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. Okay, I'll give them to you. There are 12. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Okay, the 12. Jonah's one chapter in the book. You might consider all those books, chapters in this whole book, called the book of the twelve. And they're communicating not only messages as individual chapters, which chapters do, right? But they work together in the whole of the book to communicate a message. And they're communicating about the greatness of our God. The book of Hosea. Let's start off with the intro of of this book of the twelve. It communicates about the greatness of Of God's mercy and compassion upon sinners. Do you know in the book of Hosea, it compares the people's sin to that of a prostitute. One who is giving himself, herself over constantly, not to God, but to tons of other things. It's an adulterous relationship that's being communicated in the book of Hosea. And Israel is giving themselves to money and materials, giving themselves to false gods, giving themselves to relationships and placing all those as primary and saying, I have forgotten God, is what it says in in Hosea. And you know what God does in Hosea chapter 2? You should read it sometime. It's astounding. Using the marriage image, when one has gone out and cheated and has used their body like a prostitute would, God says, but I will speak tenderly to her. 
And I will woo her and call her back to myself. And I will stay so near to her that all the areas in the past of her life, which used to be places of desolation and shame and regret, I will come into those moments and I will bring hope and healing and I will push my love down into the heart so that forgiveness reigns and you will be my people and we will be together like a husband and wife are together in deep intimacy. That's what God does with the sin of Israel. Remarkable. He says, I love you that much. And that's a picture of the cross. Where Christ gave His life for sinners who didn't deserve it. But He took upon Himself their sin so that God could be gracious to sinners. This is good news. Worth celebrating. And it shows His greatness. And that's how this book begins. But it also continues on with not only God's great mercy, but also God's great judgment. Because anyone who does not repent of sin will incur the just wrath That their sin deserves. Let me just give you a couple verses from the next two books. Joel and Amos. In the book of Joel. Here's how God talks. Regarding those people who will not turn from their sin. It says the Lord utters his voice. Joel 2.11. Before his army. For his camp is exceedingly great. There's our word again. He's about his greatness. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The day of the Lord is this day of end times judgment that will come upon all those who have, will not turn from their sin. It is a day of wailing and gnashing. It is a day of dread. It is a day that The people of Israel were not wanting to be on the receiving end of. The awesomeness here is not a trivial sense of glib, happy awesomeness. It is the awe that should come when you stand in the presence of a holy God and you are unholy. It was a dreaded day for all those who would not repent. And Amos 9.11 lays out the same general understanding. It says, it's 9.10, not 9.11. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword when they say, disaster shall not overtake or meet us. It's when they sin and they say, it's not that big of a deal. Bad things aren't going to come. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. Live as I want to live. Does it sound familiar? This book of the twelve. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, they're all pushing us right into the book of Jonah. And they're saying, God in His greatness wants to have a relationship with us and speak to us. And He's going to communicate His great mercy and He's going to communicate His great justice. And this passage is meant to push us to say, do we want a relationship with the living God? If so, run to Him and not away from Him. God speaks to man. And that is our greatest need. We need to hear the voice of the Lord. And oh, if I were to just have some people testify in this moment, what voices are you tempted to listen to? We could list them, couldn't we? 
we're tempted to be, have that inter-conversation about all the criticism we receive. We're tempted to have that conversation about all the praise that we receive. And begin to believe either one of them. We listen to those voices. We listen to voices that speak about position and money and power as primary. Climbing the corporate ladder. We listen to our children. And they tell us what is best for them. We listen to people who tell us what pace we should go at. And we compare ourselves to everybody else. We listen to those voices of comparison. We listen to the professor or we listen to the other students or we listen to the spouses. We listen to those inner voices that say, go to the gaming, go to the sex, go to the TV and make those things primary. All kinds of voices are clamoring. That's what your head feels like. Just voice after voice after voice. And God is saying, boom! He wants to split the waters of those voices. And He wants His voice to shoot right through into the heart and say, this is the voice that is to be primary. It is the voice of the living God. It is the voice of the great Creator of the universe who says, I love you enough to make myself known to you. Come to me. All who are weary, heavy laden, Filled with the grat. I know all the voices that are out there. I've been tempted by the same ones, he says. But you come to me. I've got a great word for you. I'll revive your soul. I'll refresh your heart. I'll make you wise. I'll enlighten your eyes. I'll give you love. And I'll point you forward in a way of hope. Oh, friends, many times we don't know how to go because we haven't spent time with our God. And he is inviting us today. This God who speaks. He's inviting us to know Him. But not only that, our God is not only just a speaking God, but He's a commanding God. And therefore, He is to be obeyed. Now take heart. That point was just on one verse. There's 17 here. Okay? To bring you sleeping back? No, just kidding. Here we go. <laughs> they don't go that slowly. We're going to truck along. But you have to lay the foundation for this book as a whole. Now, verse 2. Here's what He says. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Do you hear this? God commands Jonah to do something. Go. Go to Nineveh. Let's make sure you understand the setting. Nineveh is like about 220 miles north of present-day Baghdad. Okay? So, if you're following a map, it would be over this direction, Israel and Judea, the kingdom was split at this time and Jonah was prophesying here. It was here. And Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria, along with Babylon, they were the enemies of God. They were the people who constantly oppressed the people of God. They worshipped pagan gods. And when their government began to execute its form of justice, it was a bloody mess. It was about territory conquering. It was about pushing down the small person in order to gain the great power. And when you've been like Israel, you're on the receiving end of blow after blow after blow of oppression, of oppression, of oppression. 
You begin to not like your enemies. Nineveh was the enemy of God. Throughout the Bible. And Jonah is prophesying in around 760 B.C. About 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And it's Nineveh about 40 years after Jonah isn't prophesying any longer. About 40 years later that Assyria sweeps in and decimates Israel. And Israel sent away in exile. This is the Assyria that Jonah was asked to go to. This great city, large city, and it's about 500 miles away from Israel. So he's going to have to make this trek overland over here. So now, if that's the case, if that's the case, what is Jonah going to do? God commands him. What does Jonah do? Well, look at verse three. God says, go to Nineveh, but Jonah rose To flee to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. Now look in these next few verses. How many times it uses the word Tarshish. And away from the presence of the Lord. When you're reading the Bible and there's repetition. It's not in there just for in their sake. It is in there to say this is important. This is part of the main idea. So listen. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. Do you get the point? Nineveh is this way, 500 miles. You know where Tarshish is? That way. And he goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat, goes across the Mediterranean Sea, away from Nineveh. He's going that way, is what he's saying. He's going that way. Away from God. God says this way. He's going that way. That's how repetitious this is in Jonah. It's the main idea. He's running away from God. God commanded. And he is to be obeyed. But he's running away from God. Now, you might ask, well, why is he running? He's probably terrified, right? You would think, you might be tempted to think he's just afraid. These people are are horrific people. They have been known for their oppression. But you know something? We find out by the end of the book, it wasn't because he was afraid that he didn't go. He didn't go because he didn't want God to be merciful to Nineveh. He didn't want his enemies to get off with forgiveness over their sin. And he knew that God was merciful. He didn't want Nineveh to be forgiven. And so he goes the other direction. That's what it says in chapter 4, verse 2. And so now, instead of heading towards Nineveh, he is headed to Tarshish. And now, what is, you begin to see in the text, Nineveh, the enemy of God, that Jonah begins to align himself with them. He begins to do evil. Nineveh is a great city, it says. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Their evil, their sinful deeds has come up before God. Now, let's make sure you understand. This does not mean that God just now began to understand that they were evil. It's not like he has like a bunch of papers on his desk and he can't like, you know, deal with them all at once. So finally he uncovered all these and pulled it out. Oh, Nineveh's evil. We got to do something about that. No, 
God has this massive plan. He knows everything that's going on all the time. But now he's saying, now is my time to deal with the evil of Nineveh. All he's doing is declaring it's now his time to make an action happen. And Nineveh is a people who are doing evil. And evil in the scriptures is used in Jonah is used eight times this word evil. And it's not only used for sin against God, but it's also used for the punishment that God exacts up on the evil. So it's translated as disaster. So they do evil. God brings disaster upon their sin. It's the same word. What's he doing? He is connecting that disobedience and sin leads to disaster. And what you begin to see is that Jonah, when he runs from the presence of God, his life is led towards disaster. It is meant to evoke in the reader a sense of fear of rebelling against God. I don't want my life to run into disaster. And so now Jonah is just like him. You know what? I thought this was funny. You know what Jonah's name means? It means silly and without sense. Silly and without sense. Hosea 7.11 says, Ephraim is like a dove. They are silly and without sense. And it's the exact same word as Jonah. Jonah's silly and without sense. And so am I. And so are you. That's the point. Whenever we run from the living God, who has proven over and over His wisdom and love and His power, we're silly and without much sense. And so, as Jonah runs away from the presence of God, it's a serious thing. It's serious to be away from the presence of the Lord. My little girl, she doesn't like the dark. And when she's laying in bed, there are many times in the middle of the night that she will run into my room, terrified, and saying, Daddy, I had a bad dream, or it's just too dark in there, and she just gets afraid. And so at first it was, okay, she's afraid of the dark. How can I help her here? But then I began to realize if she is sleeping anywhere in my room, which is even darker than her room, she's okay. Why is that? Because for her, the darkness is a communication of aloneness. And being alone terrifies her. And being alone should terrify us. Meaning, away from the presence of the Lord. But it wasn't terrifying Jonah. And that's what happens when we sin. It doesn't compute that we're running away from God. But we are. And Jonah runs away from the presence of the Lord. You know, it was that very phrase that Abraham says, I can't go unless you go with me. It was that very phrase that Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 48 says, I can't let you go because I must go with you. It was that very same phrase that Moses says, I must go with you. If you don't go with me, I'm not going to go because I have to be with you. Oh, that we would begin to see how indispensable it is that the people of God walk with God, that we're with him. 
and near to Him. But Jonah is displaying a different way. A way of silliness and foolishness. And so what does God do? Look at verse 4. As God commands, He is meant to be obeyed. And what happens when He is not obeyed? In this, you see God's grace of obstacle giving. The Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea. And there's a mighty tempest. So much so that the the sailors who have been on the sea, that's what they did for a living. They thought their ship was going to break up. They started throwing the cargo overboard. And it still, it grows worse and worse. The waves are worse and worse. Obstacle. Obstacle. Barrier. Barrier. God did that. Why did He do it? He did it. Because He is going to accomplish His purposes. And nothing will thwart it. He did it because He still had a plan to use Jonah. And not even Jonah's disobedience was going to derail that. He did it so that Jonah would be wholly His. I don't know if you've ever seen a a little child try to walk. And there are areas that this child should not go. So... When they begin to kind of stammer over here, they see something they want. Most of the time, it's like an electrical outlet, you know, something nice and safe. And so, like, they're stammering. And so, what does a good parent do? Well, they'll, they'll set a table in front of that child, okay? And many times, those tables, they have legs, but they have escape hatches. And so, these kids, when they can't go around them, they crawl through them. And so, then the parent gets wise, and they put barriers in the escape hatch, Right? And so then the child figures out a way to climb on top. And one day, all of a sudden, you turn the corner and this kid's standing on top of the table. Why? He wants that electrical outlet, right? And so why are you putting all of these barriers in here? It's for the protection of the child, for the good of the child. What is God doing here? When He throws a mighty wind. John Piper states it this way. God will clog your way and frustrate your day that you might belong wholly to Him. He will clog your way and frustrate your day in order that you might belong wholly to Him. He will not settle for less than 100%. He wants all of you. And that is the most joyful place you can be is to give all of you to Him. Surrender. God, you are mine. I am yours. And he will do it. He will put obstacle after obstacle in the way that we might be wholly his. Now, friends, every obstacle that happens in our life isn't a direct response to some specific sin. But every obstacle that comes in our life is a call to press in to God. Every one of them. You got a plan? Wall hits up. Man, what's happening? It doesn't mean run away. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It means press into God. Listen to Him. Sometimes the obstacles mean take a different direction. Other times the obstacles mean just stay with me and watch me overcome them. But in this situation, Jonah was hit with obstacle after obstacle because he needed To be holy gods. And now friends. 
God is a commanding God. He said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Arise and do that. And you know what Jonah was just showing? What's been in the human heart for centuries. We hate authority. We hate it. You ever set a command to someone and they do the opposite just because you said that command? There is this rebellion in the human heart. It is an inertia of the human heart to hate authority. It's fine when we're the authority. But when someone else becomes the authority and we are to submit, all of a sudden we get critical. We get complaining. We get lazy. And we figure out ways to rule our own planet and to be our own authority. That doesn't just happen between God and us. It happens with all kinds of authority structures. Jonah was battling with that issue. He did not want to submit. He did not want God's grace to be seen among his enemies. And yet, God put those barriers there so that he might accomplish his purposes. So not only does our God speak, And therefore he is to be known. Not only does our God command. And therefore he is to be obeyed. But our God changes hearts. And therefore he is to be worshipped. If you look at this passage. What begins to unfold. In this passage. Is you have the sailors in verse 5. They begin to be terrified. Why are they terrified? Look at verse 6. They're calling out to their gods. And the captain all of a sudden sees Jonah down in the belly of the ship. Do you know what that language is when it's used in the Old Testament to go down into? It's the very language that's used for death. It's this image that Jonah has kind of resolved to go away from God. And when you go away from God, the result is disaster, which leads to death. It's this common language. It's like that's the path that Jonah is going down as he is going down to go to sleep. And the captain is like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. This ship is all up in upheaval and the waves are going everywhere and this guy's taking a nap. So would you please get up, Jonah, and start calling out to your God because our calling out to our gods isn't working. And so Jonah calls out to his God. But what was the fear of those sailors? Verse 6. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They were terrified for their lives. One flag that waves sometimes for disobedience is when you are constantly plagued and gripped with fear, specifically fear of death. It can show that something has risen too high. That something is is risen way above our God who has proven His great character. But what do we see from these individuals? They are terrified about dying. And so in verse 7, they cast lots, which was in uh, Hebrew times, this was a way of kind of, finding out the will of the Lord, but the Israelites believe, Proverbs 16.33, that every lot that is cast is from the hand of the Lord, that He controls all of that. And so, what happened was, it fell to Jonah, and like all the eyes, you know, it's like, what's happening, what's happening? And everybody looks up, he's the dude. So what's up? What are you doing? Would you please tell me who you are? And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the one true God. He's the one that's made everything. Even the sea that's throwing you like crazy and the dry land that you long to get to, that's my God. And they are terrified. That's what it says in verse 9. Or verse 10. 
The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them that. Jonah knew what he was doing. And he says, I'm running from God. And they're terrified. Because obviously this God has more power than their gods. And what you begin to see as the waves start going, as Jonah says, the only option out of this deal is that you throw me overboard. You hurl me into the water. And they say, no, I think we can solve this ourselves. Let's row it. So they start rowing it. The water gets too heavy. They can't make it happen. And they realize they're fighting against God. And that's not going to end well for them. And so, look at how they talk. Therefore, verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, now they're praying to the one true God. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood because if a man wasn't tried and convicted and he was killed, that was a sin against God that would result in punishment. And they knew if they threw him overboard, this guy was going to die. He hadn't been through a trial or anything, but they felt like this is what they were supposed to do. So he says, please take this man's innocent blood. He hasn't been tried of anything. And would you please not let us perish? Now they're not worried about the water killing them, but don't let us perish for sinning against you. It's their own sin that they don't know what to do with now. Uses those same words for perishing. And so in verse 15, they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. Four times is that word hurled used in this first chapter. One is what God does to the water, he, or the, the wind. He hurls the wind out there. It's what they did to their cargo. They threw it overboard. Now they throw Jonah over. It's this sign of wrestling with God. And when they threw Jonah over, they said, I'm done wrestling with him. Oh, that God would do that right now. Oh, that God would do that right now in our hearts. That we would stop wrestling against Him and start walking towards Him. And what happened when Jonah was hurled overboard? The sea stopped raging. And then the men were really afraid. No longer of the water because it wasn't raging. They knew the one true God and His power. And what did they do? They offered sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. More than likely, there weren't any animals on this ship. So more than likely, this is a representation of what they did after the ship got to dry land. It was this sense of they are going to spend time and they are going to sacrifice because they knew sacrifices had to be offered. Blood had to be shed for their sin. And they made vows. These were promises of regularly making sacrifices, regularly relating to God because they knew He was the one true God. What do we see here? Pagan men who weren't following after God at all, all of a sudden following after the one true God. A God who not only speaks and not only commands, but who changes hearts. And therefore, if He changes hearts, the call of this passage the call of this passage is worship before action. The foundation of all that we're doing is not first go do, but stand in awe of. So many can take Jonah and say, 
Oh, well, I better stop disobeying and I better start obeying. What was the point here? The point is that we need a heart change in order that we might obey at all. If you obey without worship, you're just a legalist. You're stuck in religion. But if you've trusted in the living God and He has changed your heart, then He gives you all the power you need to obey. In this first chapter, He's saying, first things first. First things first. Worship Me. Fall down before Me. And the beautiful message as we go to the Lord's Supper in these moments right now is this message here. Is that we don't have to offer sacrifice for sin over and over. But Jesus Christ who came and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved, He rose from the grave three days later. Do you know how long Jonah was in the belly of the whale? Not the whale, the fish. I'm just testing you. You weren't paying attention. You know how long he was in the belly of the fish? Three days. You know what Jesus says about that? The message of Jonah should give you everything that you need to repent of your sin and trust in the one who overcomes the grave. And this is the message for us. The message for us is Jesus did it all so that we might have it all. But he did it all that we might have it all because we are to give all of ourselves to him. And He and His love will clog our way and frustrate our day until we are wholly His. And so the Lord's Supper is a time of repentance or confession or prayer, whatever it is, that you might say, Oh God, I want to be wholly Yours. Let me pray.